And good morning to you, and if you're uh, with us for the first time or watching online, we're so glad you're here with us today. Um, And let me just say happy 4th of July, you know, as a church. Um, We should be thankful for all the good gifts that God provides, which include for us today just the ability uh, to worship freely. You know, this is a good gift for us. Um, Not everyone in the world has this this gift. You know, and I know this from personal experience. I've been with brothers and sisters around the world that daily live in the fear of being thrown in jail for following Jesus. And so may we be thankful today that we can worship freely. Again, this is a good gift to us that God has provided um, for us in this room. While we also need to remember and balance God's heart is not for one nation, but for all nations and all peoples all over the world, uh, and that God's word tells us our ultimate and primary citizenship is not in this world, but it is in heaven. And so we can use this as an opportunity to thank God that we can freely worship today while also longing for a better day where all peoples and all nations all over the world will worship God, where brokenness and tears and heartache uh, will be no more. In fact, uh, if some of you may not know this, um, just a fun little reminder, the name of our church, New City Church, comes from this exact idea uh, that we would be a church that longs for the new city that is to come, as we see in Revelation 21, with the new heavens and the new earth where people from all nations and all people groups all over the world will be worshiping God together. Uh, and Hebrews 13, 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And so again, um, if you're here for the first time, or just for everyone here, if you're newer to our church, we're so glad that you're here. You know, we are unapologetically a globally-minded church uh, that also seeks to thank God for every good gift, uh, which includes being able to worship freely today. Um, But that's not our sermon today. Today we're going to be back in Exodus. You know, this summer we've been marching through Exodus, the second half of Exodus, and we're getting into the home stretch. Um, we've got our sermon today, then we'll have two more sermons and then uh, to finish the book, and then we'll have two kind of independent sermons in the month of uh, July, and then we're going to be jumping into Titus uh, for about five weeks starting in August. Uh, to look at what God's Word says about pastors and elders and discipleship and mentoring and just the church at large. You know, last week we started the, uh, to look at the tabernacle in Exodus, which showed us how God desires to live and to dwell uh, among us. He desires to be in our presence. And today we're going to c- continue to look at the tabernacle, uh, but from a slightly different angle. You know, last week we looked at the structure and some of those items in the tabernacle and what they point us to. Uh, and this week, um, as Tony Marita has pointed out in his commentary, Christ-centered exposition that we've been kind of wa- uh, following closely, more closely this specifically this summer. You know, today we're looking at the idea of work and rest. You know, kind of honing in at those who work in the tabernacle, uh, kind of the high priest, looking at the high priest and those that work on the tabernacle, which are the craftsmen as well as God's uh, call for Sabbath rest. And so just like we saw last week, looking at seven different items in the tabernacle, like the Ark of the Covenant and the table for the bread and the golden lampstand and the tabernacle structure and the bronze altar and the core of the tabernacle and the oil for the lamp, looking at those seven different items, it pointed us to a story. You know, they directed us to the gospel, seeing how God can come to be in our presence, ultimately seeing how Jesus came down to earth to tabernacle among us, to dwell among us. Uh, And just as a quick refresher from last week, where we saw God outline the details of the tabernacle, starting on the inside in the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was held, where God's presence resided. And then he started to move outward, seeing the table for the bread and the golden lampstand and the oil, seeing God as the bread of life and the provider and also as the light of the world. And then the tabernacle as a whole, 
seeing the structure that pointed us to the Garden of Eden as a kind of like a mini heaven on earth where God, where God and man could be together. And then it's kind of looking at that fence, uh, creating the court of the tabernacle that created a barrier from the outside world, from the inside where God would dwell. Uh, and between the entrance of the court and the tabernacle was a large bronze altar that God's people had to go through to get to the tabernacle. We saw how a sacrifice had to be made for God's people to get into God's presence, ultimately seeing how Jesus being sacrificed on the cross bridged the gap as our eternal and forever sacrifice, basically for us to get to God, to be into God's presence, seeing how the only way for us to get into God's presence is through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, right? That he came to us, he was sacrificed on the cross in our place and brought us who are separated from God and outside of his presence, and he brings us into his presence through faith in Jesus. And so last week, we did a lot of heavy lifting in a traditionally unfamiliar passage of Scripture, but in doing so, hopefully we saw how God continued to build upon those themes throughout Scripture and throughout the rest of the Bible. And when we read and understand the Old Testament, it helps us to make better sense of the New Testament uh, where we see Jesus then come onto the scene. And today, we're continuing to build upon that story of the gospel where we'll see our main idea today where Jesus came to bring rest for a restless world. Jesus came to bring rest for a restless world. And my hope, okay, my hope is by the end of our time, by seeing just the truths that are found in our passage, that our souls can be at rest today. And I know that's a high task because I know we live in a restless culture. We live in a restless world where our souls are so easily worried. And I say this not as an outsider throwing stones, but as someone who knows and experiences this myself, because it is so easy to find ourselves full of worry and fear and anxiety. And in turn, we become restless. I, I don't know about you, but some of my most restless times are when I'm trying to actually rest. Like I lay down physically tired, but then my mind starts racing. You know, and why is that? Why is that? Well, it's because we each have something deep down inside of us that is a bit off and needs help. We need someone to intercede for us and to help us. And again, in our story, Jesus is not mentioned in our passage today, but everything in our passage, it foreshadows what Jesus would come to do. And so our passage describes some really fancy clothes for priests and what may seem like to us a strange ceremonial process for the priest, as well as a few other details about altars and basins and incense and craftsmen and Sabbath. But what we need to know from the get-go is that it all points us to Jesus. And so as we continue to look at the tabernacle today and all that goes with it, including the people, those that work in it and on it, on, in the tabernacle and on the tabernacle, it all points to Jesus. And again, I don't do this very often, but just like last week, our, our outline today, uh, because of how large our passage is, it, it comes from a commentary, almost very closely from a commentary Christ-centered exposition. Um, it's not exactly the same, but it's close. And here it is. Number one, uh, Jesus is our great high priest interceding on our behalf. Number two, the Holy Spirit empowers us for God's purposes. And number three, we have a Sabbath rest provided for us. Again, all showing that Jesus came to bring rest for a restless world. You know, this, this past week, I'm thinking about our four chapters today, chapters 28 through 31 of Exodus, with all that's going on. Um, the image that came to mind for me uh, was the image of a bonfire, <laughs> 
Uh, y'all, I love a good fire. Um, I love kind of <laughs> extending the limits to see how big we can, I can make a fire, you know, within reason. You know, bonfires are just the best. There's something very soothing and mesmerizing about a fire. And so today we're going to build a bonfire and hopefully be, be warmed and find rest uh, in God's word that points us to Jesus. When we think about our bonfire today, what we're going to do, uh, we're going to make three small uh, kind of independent fires by laboring to collect the wood. And then after we kind of labor a little bit, uh, we're going to light each one on fire uh, and be warmed by each truth individually. And then in the end, we're going to bring them all together and have a bonfire and see how um, they kind of all fuel each other together. And so let's, uh, we're going to build our bonfire by kind of laboring a little bit to collect the wood of our first fire. And we're going to spend most of our time here on this first fire. Um, the wood that we're needing to labor and collect today for our first fire are the garments uh, and the consecration and a cleansing ceremony for the high priest. Um, now, I don't know if you've ever collected wood for a bonfire, uh, but when you build a bonfire, you need to get some heavy limbs, Right? Um, like it's hard work. In chapters 28 and 29 of Exodus, there is a lot there. Uh, we're, no, we're, gonna, we're not going to read it all, but we'll start by looking at the first five verses of chapter 28 so we can get a peek, kind of get, a, get a, a, a peek of the tip of the iceberg. But my hope for this, kind of like last week, is that this would intrigue each of us enough to go and read more of this on our own time um, so that we can study it better uh, in more depth later. Uh, but today, um, we're hoping to just kind of whet your appetite. Okay, look at chapter 28, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, and they make Aaron garments. And they, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkered work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make a holy garment for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, uh, and purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine twine linen. And so just right before what we, were, what we just read, Again, if you remember from last week where there are seven different items that we saw for the tabernacle, I mean, what we just read was God starting to instruct Moses uh, on putting a few people to work. He tells him, God tells him, get your brother Aaron and his sons and make them some special clothes. And God calls these clothes holy garments for glory and for, for beauty in verse 2. And then he kind of describes uh, what they make. He says, uh, make a breast piece and an ephod, which is like a, kind of like a sleeveless apron and a robe and a coat of checker work and a turban and a sash. Um, but for them at this time, these clothes, they would, these clothes, they would have been remarkable, kind of with, with fine linen and precious stones and yarn uh, with the best material. And it clearly set them apart with their fine materials. And so we're not going to go into the details of these, but, but if you were to go through and read the rest of chapter 28, it would describe these each in detail, but for us today, we're just gonna, I'm going to show you a picture. <laughs> oh, let's, there it is. That's, that's what it would look like. Chapter 28 goes into detail of all of those things together. But I do want to point out a few things about the priest's clothes. The first thing was the ephod, uh, like the sleeveless apron or kind of like the long vest, uh, because on it, there were 12 names on two different stones. 
And uh, with one stone on each shoulder that represented the 12 tribes of Israel, as well as the breastpiece of judgment that was to help them make decisions, uh, it also had 12 stones on that breastpiece, also representing the 12 tribes. And both of these pieces were to show that the high priest was representing all of God's people, that he was going before God on their behalf of all the tribes, and also for help just with wisdom and decision-making. And so the role of the high priest was to go before God in the tabernacle and make yes or no requests on behalf of all of God's people. And just to kind of a few other things we see there on the clothes, like, uh, like the turban. In verse 36, they had it engraved on a gold plate. It says, uh, and it said, placed on their forehead, a plate that said, holy is the Lord. That's what it said, that little gold plate that you see up there. It was engraved, holy is the Lord. And we also see that it had bells uh, that would ring while going in and out. And the reason they did that is so that they wouldn't die. That's what it says. And we see that uh, he went in barefoot because they were going on holy ground. They had to have fine linen for undergarments so that they wouldn't be exposed. All of these things, all of these things that we're talking about, were to emphasize that the priests were to be righteous. That they were clothed in righteousness. And then as we move into chapter 29, we start to see the consecration of these priests. And consecration, that's just a, that's a word that's used in verse 1 in chapter 29, which is just kind of like a big fancy word for how they were cleansed and purified and set apart as priests. Look, look, at, look at what it says in chapter 29 in those first nine verses. It says, Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them. Now they may serve me as priest, take one bull of the herd and two rams, rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes, mixes with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and the girt and gird him with the skillfully woven band of ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons and sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statue forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So that's just the first little bit. But if we were to kind of keep reading we'd see that they'd also have to make a sin offering for them. They had to lay their hands on the head of a bull. And then they, would, they had to kill a bull and essentially put blood of the sacrifice. They had to put the blood everywhere, like on the altar, on their ears, on their fingers, on their toes, on their feet, on their clothes, on all the nice garments that we just described and we just saw. Uh, and, then, uh, and then on his sons and their clothes. And then they would have a burnt offering and a peace offering and a wave offering and they were anointed in their clothes. And then they had to stay in these clothes for seven days while making a daily sacrifice, offering a bull. And on every day, they also sacrificed two lambs, one in the morning and one at night, also with a drink offering and a food offering. And this week, I read this to my eight-year-old daughter. <laughs> she said, Dad, that's weird, okay? Um, and, and disgusting. And then she just walked away. It was like, it was a great teaching bonding moment there. But all of this was done so that they could be set apart and made holy so that God could speak with them. Because what is being made so evident in Exodus, this, uh, and this is, this is important, what was being so, made so evident is the extreme divide between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. 
And in order for the priest to be in God's presence, they needed to be clothed in righteous garments and covered in the shed blood of the sacrifice. The shedding of the blood was the price that was to be paid for their sins. And as God said in verse 45 and 46 of chapter 29, they did this, as God said, so that, verse 45, it says, I, that being God, will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God wanted to be with his people. He wanted to live with them, dwell with them, and remind them that he is God, but they needed to be holy. They needed a holy priest. (laughs) But as we know, and um, I later explained to my daughter, that was then, okay? We don't have to do that today. That was the old covenant. That was the old way. And so this is kind of the part of the first small fire where we kind of light the logs we just laid down and we try to make it burn hot for us today, okay? Because for us today, we don't go to a tabernacle and sacrifice bulls and lambs and have to come to God in ornate clothes and put blood all over the place. No, because when Jesus came on the scene, he came and he turned all of that upside down because he came and to fulfill that himself. Jesus did all of that and does all of that for us on our behalf. And because of that, for us today, we know that number one, our first point, Jesus is our great high priest interceding for us on our behalf. We saw last week that Jesus was a sufficient sacrifice. And this week, we see that Jesus is also the great, our great high priest. Except Jesus didn't, didn't need to be cleansed and purified because he never sinned. Jesus was already holy because he's God's son, which immediately set Jesus apart. Jesus didn't need to cover his forehead with a tunic to show that he was holy. Uh, God knew his very face from the beginning of time. God, and God knew him as his beloved son. And just like we saw with the high priest in Exodus, for those that are his people, for those that have trusted in Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, we know that Jesus goes to God and he intercedes for us on our behalf. Like we see in God's word that Jesus is pleading to God as the great high priest for his people. And with Jesus as our great high priest today, we don't need to come with him with special decision-making stones like we see in Exodus. God has given us his word and his spirit and the church and the people of God to help us walk in wisdom and to help us make decisions. Because God has sent his son Jesus to be our sufficient once and for all sacrifice by, uh, by going and being nailed to a cross where they, na- laid, where they nailed his hands and feet and lashed his back and put thorns on his head. Uh, because of that, Jesus' blood was shed and it was all over himself. Jesus was covered in his own blood. Jesus didn't shed the blood of a bull and put it all over himself. No, Jesus was the Lamb of God whose blood covered his own hands and his own feet and his entire body, who by doing so made a way for all of our sins today, for your sins and for my sins to be paid for eternally and forever. And when we trust in him, we're deemed holy and set apart. And then he clothes us in his righteousness We don't need these heavy, uh, ornate clothes to make us righteous. No, we need Jesus' righteousness. Because when we trust in Jesus, we're clothed in Jesus' rightness. Just to say it another way, because I know that righteousness was a big word. 
We're clothed in Jesus' rightness. Not our wrongness. We're clothed in Jesus' rightness. And then us being clothed with his garments, God then looks at us just as he saw his son. (laughs) And he sees us as set apart and holy. Christian, don't forget that today. Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you. Jesus is the eternally sufficient sacrifice for you. Your sins are eternally forgiven. Like today, you are forgiven. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, if your faith is in Jesus, you are forgiven. Christian, hear that. Like Jesus is interceding for you right now. Like right now, he has clothed you in his righteousness and Jesus by his spirit. He is with you by his spirit to help us make decisions, to help us make wise decisions. And as the book of Hebrews tells us, Jesus is the far greater high priest. Jesus is the far superior high priest than Israel could ever dare dream possible. Jesus is far more holy, far more righteous, far more wise. He's far more set apart. He was a better representative and we aren't lumped in to, some tri- to a tribe. No, he actually knows us individually by name. And brothers and sisters, I don't know what weight <laughs> you may be bringing in today, what sin struggle or what loneliness, or what decision you may have, or what worry, or fear, or anger, or apathy you may have. Or may, uh, but may we not be led to despair. <laughs> because praise the Lord, Jesus Christ is our perfect and great high priest who is pleading to God for us. He is interceding for us on our behalf. I mean, just think about this. Jesus Christ The Son of God, who sits with God all the time, who created the world, who sees and knows all things, is pleading to God for us. When we're weary, He's pleading for us. When we're overcome with guilt and shame, He is pleading to God for us. When we're stressed and anxious or worried, He's pleading for us. When we're angry or bitter or lonely or directionless or confused or apathetic or just plain done with whatever it is we want to be done with, Christian, take heart. Because Jesus is interceding for us. Take heart, Christian, and trust that today. Because trusting in that incredible truth, your soul can find rest. Remember today that Jesus is advocating for you. And that, my friends, is our first fire. Uh, We're going to set it aside, and we're going to kind of keep that burning, and we're going to continue to labor to collect some more wood and exodus for our next fire. But before we get to our next fire in chapter 31, I just want to uh, point out chapter 30. Um, if, you were to look, if you were to look then at chapter 30, just as a quick kind of a point, point of reference and summary, we would see the altar of incense. Just more items we would see here. There's an altar of incense that burned continually before the presence of the Lord. We'd see a census offering, offering that described by God as another means to share the expenses of the tabernacle. We'd see a bronze basin as a way to wash their hands and feet after they made that sacrifice, um, kind of coming into the, uh, the court of the tabernacle before they went into the tabernacle. And there was another oil and incense. It's all kind of described there. Uh, and all of this was seen as worship to the Lord. Um, but for those last two small fires, we're going to build and burn. We're going to look at chapter 31. Um, these, are two, these two are shorter sections. It's going to um, feel like a major topic shift. But I want you to hang with me, okay? Uh, Remember the three small fires, and we're going to bring them all together in the end. Uh, So read with me, starting in verse 1 of chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by 
Uh, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Ohaliab, the son of uh, Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability uh, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basins and the stand and the finely worked garments and the holy garments for Aaron and the priests and the garments of the stones for their service as priests and the anointing and oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded you. They shall do. Okay, so in essence, we just read a summary list of the tabernacle of kind of what we looked at over the past, uh, the, over the past week or two. But what I want to point out is that God filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God. In verse 3, God said, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic design. And on and on, he lists his uh, unique skills. And then he also appointed uh, Ohaliab, as well as other able men with ability to complete the task that God had given them. And so just to connect the dots here a little bit, again, what our point, commentary that I've, I've been using has pointed out is that these guys are to work on the tabernacle, where the priests, they worked in the tabernacle. So I hope you see the distinction there. But what I love about this, uh, this section is that God filled these people with the Spirit of God. He didn't fill them, uh, he didn't do it not to speak or to teach or to heal or to cast out demons or to part the Red Sea or to prophecy or to lead or direct or to have some sort of abnormal crazy power. But rather, he filled them with the Spirit of God to simply work with their hands, to just do seemingly ordinary things, to make, to do designs and craftsmanship, uh, to, to have with it, that he filled them with intelligence and knowledge and with the ability to think. You see, church, I love this. This is so helpful for us. They were filled with the Spirit to complete the task at hand. And it seemed like just normal, common tasks. They didn't seem, uh, they, they didn't seem glamorous, but they were vital to God's plans and the task at hand. Because you know who he didn't fill with the Spirit to do those things? It was Moses and Aaron. Moses had his own unique calling and gifting, and Aaron had his own unique calling and gifting. And as we see here, Bezalel and Ohaliab and other able men, they each had their unique calling and gifting. And it was to work with their hands and to do artistic design and to be smart and to think. And as you look at the back, the last six chapters of Exodus kind of that mirrors this first, the section that we've been looking at this week and last week, that last six chapters of Exodus mirrors it. It's not Moses and Aaron who are doing all of the work. It's actually Bezalel and Ohaliab and the other craftsmen who are making all of this happen. And if they weren't obedient to do these tasks, then the tabernacle may never would have been built and God's presence may never would have come down on the, uh, on the unbuilt tabernacle. Seeing here our second point, number two, the Holy Spirit empowers us for God's purposes. And I, go, and I love this because it's so practical for us. Because we know that God has equipped each of us as followers of Christ with unique gifts and abilities and skills. 
And God's word has promised that to us, that we, if we are followers of Christ, he has gifted each of us in unique ways to be used for God's purposes. And there's all sorts of spiritual gifts that we see in the Bible, like administration and discernment and wisdom and teaching and knowledge and leadership and mercy and hospitality and exhortation and faith and evangelism and, all, and as well as many others. And God wants to use each of those in our lives to build up the church. But what often doesn't get talked about very often are the common everyday skills and abilities that God also wants to use for his purposes like we see in Exodus. I mean, God filled them with his spirit to work with their hands and make things and to be smart and to be creative and to think so that they could instruct the tabernacle the way that God designed it. I mean, God called them to a task and then God gifted his people to do what needed to be done for the task. Moses and Aaron, they didn't do everything. It was an entire community effort. And I just think about us here today. Everything that happens just, just on a Sunday. Like, I'm clearly not a worship leader, okay? I, I can't play any instruments, and I really, um, I sing, uh, but it's not a joyful, I mean, it's, it's, I'm just not very good. It's just not good. You know, graphic design and art, like, I like it, but I'm not good at it. Uh, and the whole tech booth back there, that, that whole area back there just kind of stresses me out a little bit. <laughs> Uh, but you know what I can do? I can move a trailer. Uh, I can put chairs out. I can park a car. Uh, I can make coffee. Like, I can, like God has equipped different people for different things. And during the time of Exodus, it was to build a tabernacle. But for us today, the principle is still the same. But the skills needed are a little different. I mean, but the point is God desires to use every person to complete his purposes. And one of the things that I am so passionate about is walking, just walking alongside people and helping people to find their unique God-given calling and gifting. And most of the time, it's, it's doing what God has gifted you to do well and doing it somewhere for God's purposes. And we say this often here, do what you love to do, but do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. And let me say this for us today. If you have a job here in Tampa and you live here for whatever reason, and you're part of our brand new church plant, whether you realize this or not, being a part of what we're doing here at New City is strategic for God's mission. Because being a part of starting a church in order to advance the gospel and to try to push back darkness and being here at the ground level with all the nitty gritty that's involved with it. Know this, you're, you're part of building something that will have, hopefully by God's grace, an eternal impact for many years to come. God is using you and can use you to use your job to be here to build the kingdom of God and to advance God's king mission here in Tampa and to the ends of the earth. Again, God uses everyday, ordinary things for extraordinary purposes. Not everybody is called to preach and teach and to be a worship leader, to be on church staff as their job. But what I know is absolutely true is that God has equipped every Christian for a God-given task that is absolutely vital for the mission of God. And most of the time, it looks like normal, everyday faithfulness and being a student or at work or in parenting or in your retirement or whatever it is you do, just doing it well for the glory of God. And I can tell you right now here at New City, if you can hold a baby and teach kids, God can use you. Because that's where our greatest need is right now on a Sunday morning. 
If you can play an instrument or if you can sing well or if you're technically minded or if you can carry a chair or move a trailer or make coffee or park a car or smile and be friendly and greet someone or teach the Bible or disciple or lead or equip or counsel. If you can do any of these things and live on mission wherever God has placed you, God wants to use you. And and hear me, please. I'm not saying all this because we need more volunteers. I'm saying this because I believe God wants to use every single person for his mission, both on Sundays and throughout the rest of the week. And on top of that, just as a side note, you know, coming in early to serve on Sundays is one of the many ways that we foster community here. Just all the, all the volunteers, every Sunday, we gather and pray, and we just seek the Lord together every Sunday at 10 a.m. for about five minutes and pray for the people that come in, uh, that our efforts would bring just kind of a sense of revival and renewal for the souls that come in and sit down. And then we just hang out, and we serve, and we laugh, and we ask about each other's lives and build community. I mean, yes, absolutely. God has all sorts of gifts that he has given to his people to help advance the mission. But may we not just forget the normal, God-given gifts and abilities that we often don't think of that God can use for his purposes. Something that God has made abundantly clear in his word is that the mission of God will only go as far as the obedience of God's people, which includes the obedience of our God-given, our normal and ordinary God-given gifts and abilities. You know, we often equate being filled with the Spirit uh, with emotion, which in many ways is kind of right because love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control are fruits of the Spirit. And there's some emotion involved in that. We also see that boldness and courage and zeal in both evangelism and discipleship are a result of being filled with the Spirit. We also see the Spirit bring breakthrough and revival and healing, and we pray for these things often. We believe in a massive, extraordinary God that can turn the world upside down for the good in an instant. But unfortunately, we often lose sight of every day just refine God-given abilities that God wants to use for day in and day out ordinary faithfulness just as a result of the Spirit's work in our life. Because the reality is that's the actual more common way. That's actually more common. Like seeing the Spirit work in our lives is just common everyday faithfulness. You know, something that Matt Chandler said that kind of stuck with me about this whole topic was that that they want to love and expect the ordinary work of the Spirit that results in a slow change over time. Just love it and expect that. While also regularly praying and begging God to bring extraordinary works of the Spirit that creates instantaneous life change and healing and breakthrough and that causes thousands of people to be saved in a day like we see in the book of Acts because the Spirit does both. Again, may we love and expect the ordinary and just pray, pray, pray pray and beg God for the extraordinary. And so let me ask, what is it that God wants to do through your everyday gifts and abilities to be used for God's purposes? And if you're not sure, either me or someone here at our church, I'm sure would love to speak with you about that. And lastly, for our third small fire, uh, again, a third seemingly isolated topic here. Um, this one's short and sweet. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 12 and 13 of chapter 31. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, You shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Number three, we have a Sabbath rest provided for us. There is so much to say here, and we don't have enough time for everything, but but what God made clear to Moses was that rest and Sabbath are vitally important. In fact, he said, above all, 
keep the Sabbath. Like this is a big deal. He gave, them, uh, he gave them work for six days, and then on the seventh day, they were to rest so that they would know, as he said in verse 13, that God sanctifies them. And, and, and we know that this is modeled after God's creation. God worked for six days, and he rested on the seventh. And what we're not going to do today is to go through what they could and could not do on the Sabbath. We're not doing that. But rather, what I want us to see specifically for us today is that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. There are a lot of things that we could talk about with Sabbath, and it deserves way more time than we're going to give it right now. I mean, like, yes, we need to take days off of work and school. That's good and right for us. Our bodies need physical rest. We need breaks, and time away is good for us. God has called us to work with our hands uh, and then rest. But what I also know, because I can be this way, is that we can seek rest but still be restless. Because our souls are not at rest. We need to seek Sabbath rest physically, mentally, and emotionally. This is good for us. But if it's void of Jesus and finding rest in him, then we've missed it. Like if we're so focused on taking a day off of work and getting away and resetting, which is all good and right, but yet not finding rest in Jesus, then we've missed it. We're in in essence trying to find rest, but it's not a rest that will satisfy us. When we think Sabbath, we should not first think not working. <laughs> we should think, no, my soul needs renewal in Jesus. Sabbath rest is not about sitting on the couch. It's about resting in Jesus. The Lord's day, just a Sabbath day, is about resting in Jesus. And it's not about what we're not doing. Because Jesus came to be our Sabbath. He came to put our souls at rest. We know that because Jesus said, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Because remember, God told Moses, above all, keep the Sabbath. Above all, rest. And it wasn't so that they wouldn't work and be lazy. No, that's disobedient. That's, I mean, but rather, the reason God wanted them to rest was because it showed that they trusted that God was with them and sanctifying them. And remember, they were building the tabernacle for the Lord. Like that was their work. In essence, God is saying, stop what you're doing for me. God's like, hey, take a day off. (laughs) Rest. Sabbath. Because I'm the Lord. I've got this. Like rest in me and be refreshed. New City Church, hear me. Rest your soul in Christ today. Because nothing else will fully satisfy our restless souls. Only Jesus can be our true Sabbath rest. And now just kind of to end our time, I want to bring all these little fires together. Uh, these three fires of knowing that Jesus is our great high priest, looking at our call to work and labor for the Lord, and then also to rest in Sabbath. Because as we bring them all together, our working and resting starts to really click. Because what we know and what we've seen in this passage is that God calls every single one of his people to be used for his purposes. Our great commission, our task as Christians is to go and make disciples of all nations. And our great commandment is to love God and to love people. And God has called each of us to play a part in that. If you are a Christian, you're called to tell others about Jesus. You're called to disciple others and to help others follow Jesus and to grow in him. That's God. That's God. That's a God-given task to every Christian. And what we also know, as we've seen today, is that God God uses ordinary and plain, everyday, and not extravagant ways to make that happen. In the most practical ways, God has called us to love our neighbor. God has called us to love and serve our spouses, to disciple our children, to make disciples and live on mission in the workplace and at home, at school, and in the fun things that we do. And I don't know about you, 
But sometimes it seems like God's pace doesn't match up with my expected pace. And they just sometimes don't match up. Or maybe it seems like what you're doing just isn't enough. Or, or on the other side, maybe you're working your tail off and you're tired and exhausted. And on top of that, maybe you're not seeing the results you want to see and you're running on empty. Maybe it's your marriage or in your own life. Maybe it's with your kids or with a friend or maybe with some of your neighbors or someone close to you. Maybe you've been praying for the same thing for 10 to 15 years or maybe just a few years or a few months and it seems like nothing is happening. Or maybe you're anxious or worried or bored or apathetic, whatever it is. I want you to hear today again, if you have put your faith in Jesus, Jesus is your great high priest who is interceding for you, who is pleading on behalf of each of us, who is going to the Lord for us. That is not our doing. Jesus is doing all of that on our behalf. He's going to the Lord on your behalf as you labor at work and in school with your family. He's going to the Lord with all of your emotions and fears and worries. He's going to the Lord pleading for help to help you delight in himself and to flee from sin. He's going to the Lord and all that you're trying to do for the Lord. We can rest our restless souls because Jesus is laboring for us. And because of that, God invites us to labor with him in confidence. We can serve in mundane and ordinary ways. And we can live on mission because we know that we're not alone. We have Jesus as our great high priest. We have the Spirit of God laboring through us. Again, this is, this is so important. God didn't say all the work and labor were the most important. No. God said resting in Him was the most important thing. And then out of that, resting, they were recharged and able to do what God equipped them and empowered them to do. And get this, when Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead, he then went and sat down next to God. And God said, it is finished. It is finished. Oh, this is such good news. Because we can find true rest, not just once a week, but every day. We don't Sabbath once a week. We get Jesus our Sabbath every moment of every day, which includes while we're working. We can find rest while we work and labor because Jesus, our rest is inside of us and Jesus, our our great high priest, is interceding for us. We can rest because God said it is finished. New City Church again, my hope and prayer is that we today would be able to find rest for our restless souls. And what I know from personal experience is the only way for my soul, for our souls to be at rest is to be in the Lord's presence, to be in his word to listen to him, to talk with him in prayer, to wait on the Lord, to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ who push you and point you to Christ and and to be content and reminded that God is over all things and also good and that we can trust him. New City Church, may we labor for the Lord as he has empowered us to do, but may may we not be restless because of it, but rather find our rest in Jesus, our great high priest who is interceding and who is working on our behalf. Let's pray. God, may our restless souls find rest. God, may you bring uh, rest and peace to our hearts, knowing our hearts and our minds, to our bodies, knowing that you are interceding for us on our behalf, that you are working and laboring in spite of us, for us. Father, you know what we need. You know the struggles that we bring, that we come in with today, that lay heavy on our hearts. God, may we know that you hold the whole world in your hands. 
and that we can trust that you're good and that you love us. Father, we're thankful for Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.